This morning, I would like to lead us in a study which I trust may be fruitful indeed, a study of the subject of God and His Word. I can't think of anything which would have been so unfortunate, or more unfortunate at least, than if God had never spoken unto us, if He had never told us anything, if He had never given us a word, made any sort of revelation unto us. Just think what a sad plight this old world would have been in. We would have been in total religious darkness if God had never spoken to us. We would have had nothing but human wisdom by which to be governed in this world. And man has been so created and constituted that he is not capable of directing himself in this world. He was made to be directed and guided and governed and controlled by a higher being, one who is infinite in wisdom and knowledge, and he wants us to be governed by heavenly wisdom and heavenly knowledge rather than human wisdom and human knowledge. And therefore God has talked unto me. He has revealed himself unto us. First, he revealed himself through nature itself. As we read in Romans 1 and verse 20, where that the Apostle Paul, in approaching his study of the heathen and of the Gentiles who were worshiping idols and who were without excuse, and in an effort to show them that there was no excuse for their idolatry and sin. He spoke of God in this wise, in verse 20 of Romans 1. He said, For the invisible things of him from the foundation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nature itself teaches us something about the existence of God. But if God had never spoken unto us, we would never have known his will. We would never have received any of his wisdom. All we could have learned from nature and all we can now learn from nature is that God is and that he is wise, that his achievements in this creation of our earth and universe exhibits great intelligence and great foresight. For we read in Isaiah 45 and 18 that he formed it that's this earth, to be inhabited, that he had us in mind when he created it, 
Therefore, he did not create it too large to be floating out in space, way out millions of miles further from the sun, where that the earth would be a great iceberg and where no life could exist. And he did not make it too small and too light so that the gravity of the sun would hold us up too close to it in our visits around the sun as we orbit the sun once a year. It would be holding us up there so close till we had all roast and we could have no life upon the earth. So he made this old earth to precision. I have a watch that was precision made. It's a bull of a watch, and it's a railroad-approved watch. It's a watch that sells for $186, and though it's only in a stainless steel case, I don't know what it'd cost if it were in gold, and it's not supposed to vary more than about 10 seconds in 12 months, and we don't have to wind it. I put a battery in it each Christmas, and it runs till the next Christmas without any changes except when Uncle Sam says change the time on a certain Saturday night in the spring and then in the fall. It's precision made, and yet it's not perfect. But God made the sun to be perfect. It does not vary a second in time in a year. He made the moon to operate exactly on precision time. He made the stars to operate that way. They travel too, as does the sun and the, as the moon. And they, in their orbits, make their cycles and come back exactly on time. There's a station in Nashville which at certain times each day will let you set your watch by the stars now. I was traveling with someone when I was in a meeting up near Henderson, and he said, I want to set my watch. It's time to set it with the stars. And he says, you know, they don't vary a second in thousands of years, in fact. They operate on the principle of perfection. And so God has created the earth to operate perfectly. He has precision made it, if you please. Instead of carelessly making it like an ordinary cheap watch, one of those that we used to call dollar watches when I was a young man, he didn't take much pains with them and they were not very well made, and they were not very accurate in the keeping of time. But God is perfect, and his work is perfect. When he created man, however, he created him to be governed by divinity and deity instead of by human wisdom. He made him capable of connecting on to the powerhouse on high, as it were. We have lights here, though we're 
apart from the powerhouse at Gorgas, Alabama. We still have lights here in Jasper, Alabama, and all because of our connection with the powerhouse. Sever our connection with the powerhouse, and we'd be in midnight darkness each night at that time. And like it is, we have lights. We have something that comes from elsewhere. And God made man to be controlled and to be governed by something that comes from the outside to within man, to something that comes into him, and not something that just comes up within his heart. In Proverbs 28 and 26, he says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. When it comes to our religion, we cannot trust in our own hearts. Be just like severing our connection with the powerhouse, Gorgas, and then turning the switch and expecting the lights to come on. They would not, and we'd be left disappointed and in darkness. And so we must have connection with God before that we'll have light as far as wisdom is concerned. In John, the third chapter, in that same chapter where we have the so-called golden text of the Bible, which says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. In that same chapter he says that he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. But then he talks about the wicked and says he, he does not come to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. And love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. And if man loves ignorance more than wisdom, if he has more confidence in human wisdom than he has in divine wisdom, then he'll ignore God's revelation, and he'll fail to connect up with the divine powerhouse on high. He will not study God's word. He will not read. He will not come to the light. David said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 119 and verse 105. Then in verse 119, he makes a revealing statement. He said, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding. But that's not the most important thing that is stated in that verse. The rest of it is challenging indeed. It says unto the simple, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. What do you mean by simple? unto the man who recognizes his need of it. 
You know, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When I was a young preacher, I wanted to preach on the Beatitudes. But every time for several years when I would want to do so, and I'd start with this first one, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd stop there and falter and decide not to preach on the Beatitudes, that I did not know the meaning of this one, the very first one. And years went by before I learned what it meant. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't mean poor in purse, or poor as far as bank accounts are concerned and earthly possessions. It has nothing like that in mind. But the poor in spirit. I would wonder if it meant blessed are those who are so unfortunate as not to have intelligence enough to be accountable before God. Maybe it means those who are mentally sick. And there are a lot of people like that that are mentally sick. And it is just as cruel to ignore the needs of a mentally sick person as it is to ignore one who is physically sick. It is just as unreasonable to expect one who is mentally sick to function normally in a mental way as it is unreasonable to expect a man to walk who has no legs and to work with his hands who has no hands. It's just as unreasonable. And so I wonder about that. I wondered if when it said simple, just what does it mean to one who never leaves the ABCs? Does it mean one who has never studied mathematics? Does it mean one who cannot read and is so unlearned that he doesn't know anything about uh, books? or how to learn, and simple in the sense of being, perhaps even being silly and so ill-informed, what does it mean? Whatever it is, it's a blessed state in which to be. What does it mean? Finally it dawned upon me when I began to study from the uh, Greek alphabet how to find words in the lexicon and how to find the definition of them in the Greek-English lexicon. And I found that this word uh, poor in spirit has reference to being humble and teachable. It has reference to being ignorant in our own conception. For instance, like 1 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, when he says, If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. There he is. If he's wise in his own conceits, and arrogant and haughty, and thinks he knows everything, and does not need any revelation from God, any word from God, any message from the Bible 
He thinks that he knows the way to heaven. Let him become a fool in his own estimation. Let him get down off of his stilts. We used to call them tomwalkers when I was a boy. I walked on them when they were as high as the end of the pews next to the aisle. My feet would be that high off the ground. And so if any man's up there on his stilts or tomwalkers and wise in his own conceits, feels no need of a Bible class or a sermon or reading a religious paper or of studying a lesson for his Bible class or of in any way being instructed in matters of religion, then let him get down off of his stilts and Tom Walkers, get down on terra firma, down on the ground, and let him become a fool in his own estimation, and say as it were, O oh God, I have my Ph.D., or I have some great degree from some great school, but, Father, I'm a fool. I don't know the way to heaven. I don't know how to worship. I don't know how to live. Don't know how to treat my wife. Don't know how to treat my husband. Don't know how to rear my children. I don't know how to get along with my neighbors. I'm so ignorant. Dear God, teach me. That's what it meant. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who in their own spirits, in their own hearts, are poor in information, poor in knowledge, in the depths of poverty, and as far as religion is concerned, and discover their needs. And that's the only type of people that God's Word will benefit. To try to teach it to others is like pouring water on a duck's back. It will not get anywhere in the direction of success unless it succeeds in getting them to become poor in spirit and teachable. That's why Jesus said, If certain ones cast not your pearls before swine, Matthew 7, 1 to 6, there are people who have no more regard for the Word of God and the pearls of divine truth than hogs out here in the hog pit would have for real, literal, beautiful pearls if they were thrown out to them. They'll trample them under their feet, said Jesus, and turn again and rend you. You'll get persecuted but you'll not do them any good, so cast not your pearl before swine. Then again, he said, in the same context, and give not that which is holy unto the dogs. There are people who have no more regard for the holy and sacred and to be respected and to be reverenced word of God than a dog has for the Lord's Supper. If a dog could, he'd come in and get the piece of bread that we're to break in the Lord's Supper and carry it away with no thought or idea 
that it is dedicated to our worship, and that to us that it represents something sacred and holy, and that there's nothing that gets closer to our hearts than the emblems of the Lord's Supper. And to break the bread, and imagine we can hear him as he cries out aloud in pain, agonizing and suffering for our lost souls and because of our sins. And as we drink the fruit of the vine, to imagine we can see the blood flowing from his head, upon which they had crushed the old thorny crown. And we can almost feel it scratch its way as the sharp thorns pierce into his head here and there and cut like sharp nail points, points of tax or something like that, down on his head. And then see the blood coming from his hands and from his feet. And we can almost feel his pain and his agony, it seems. And all of that for us. We resolve to go out to work for him. I saw a sign in a church building once saying, Come to worship, then go out to serve. And that's the way you go out when you really worshiped. But that's only for the poor in spirit. That's not for people who are like the hog, like the dog. Cast not your pearl before swine, neither give that which is holy unto the dogs. But when it comes to preaching the gospel, we have to preach it to every creature because we don't know the dogs and the hogs from the people who are poor in spirit and who can be made to be poor in spirit by the preaching. We don't know. We're not infallible. But when we do find out that people are like dogs and hogs, have no regard for revealed and divine truth, then leave them quietly, gentlemanly, in a ladylike fashion, and go your way seeking for someone who does care and who will be interested until we've reached everybody in the world with a message. God has not told us to convert the whole world. That would have been an impossible task, for there are people who can't be converted. There are people whom Jesus did not convert. He says in Matthew 11 and 20 that he taught in their streets and in their cities, and yet they didn't hear him. And if he were here today, there'd be people who wouldn't hear him. If he were in Jasper. And, of course, they treated the apostles the same way. There were those who didn't hear them and paid no attention to the message that's from on high. And so God has spoken. He has spoken with a desire to reach all people, but knowing beforehand that there would be some who couldn't be reached with the word. And therefore, he says in Matthew the 14th chapter and the 13th and 14th verses, 15th chapter rather, he said of certain ones who quibbled at his teaching, 
Jesus said, let them alone. They be blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Yet there are those who will follow, men who have no divine light. They'll follow a man in the dark as quickly as they would a man in the light, as far as divine light's concerned. They have no distinction between darkness and light, and they love darkness. They love ignorance. They love to boast about the fact that they don't know anything about the Bible and that they're not interested. They think it's smart to willfully be ignorant of God's Word. But the very fact that God has spoken is a challenge unto us. It's a challenge to us to listen and to take heed to what he has to say to us. He talked to Adam in the Garden of Eden when he had first made man. And he talked unto the woman, and he talked unto Cain, and he talked unto Abel. He talked unto Noah, and what he had to say was light in a dark place unto all of those peoples. So that the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple, unto the person who will admit that he doesn't know anything as he ought to know it. In 1 Corinthians 8 and verses 1 and 2, why he said, If a man think himself to uh, be wise in this world, let him know that he knoweth nothing as he ought to know. Oh, yes, if we know something and we think we're fairly well informed, let us always come up with the expression or thought. But I don't know anything yet as I ought to know. And still strive for more light, for more truth, and to know more and understand and love and obey more of God's revealed will. God has spoken unto men. If God had never spoken unto us, then we would not believe that he loved us. Because if parents, for instance, when a little baby is born into the world, would have failed to ever speak to it, we'd know they did not love it. I recall that the first moment that my wife and I were together after our oldest child was born, we had a prayer and prayed that God would help us to so rear that one that the others we hope to have might have an example in this one to help them to live right. That's the only part of the prayer that I remember that I prayed, was that it might be so trained and reared as to help us to rear others to follow. And so we taught and trained it. We'd read the Bible. We'd get the children together and sing. And one of the great and rich blessings of a large family 
of eight children, for instance, ten counting orphan children. One of the great blessings of it is the song service that you can have around perhaps an old open fireplace when they gather together and sing sacred songs and talk about the meaning of them, read the Bible and talk about it. Later in life, I had to have these services at the breakfast table in the morning before the children had to go to school because I was engaged in teaching at nights and was out somewhere teaching or instructing as best I could. But some of the sweetest joys of this world are in a home where that the family prays and sings and studies the Bible together. The first time I ever heard Flavel lead a prayer, I came in from a mission point in Mississippi to Millport, Alabama in the night. And the family did not know when I arrived. And the next morning, they went ahead with the breakfast and everything as though I were not there. And when the time came for the prayer before going to school, my wife had called upon Flavel to lead the prayer. And I was, just woke up as a time, about the time that he started leading that prayer. Naturally, I cried for joy all the way through. And he was leading a prayer teaching the children, trying to stay on the line of communication with them. You know, let's talk about the uh, great gap that's separating between parents and children. Well, one of them is a communication gap. Many young people have such uh, ideas obtained in school and in association with the world out there that they no longer understand the language of the parents. And I dare say the same is true of parents. Many of them do not understand their children. But any parents who would not communicate with their children, who would never try to teach them anything or say a word to them, give them any instruction, any warning, any encouragement whatsoever, would it would have to be on the basis that they don't love their children. And if God had never given us any instruction, any message, knowing that we need it, as he does, we would have known that he didn't love us. Deism says that God created the world, wound it up like a clock, went off and lay down to take thousands of years of sleep, and that he's out there sleeping and napping, and that he has never been interested in the world since he created it. He never hears anybody pray. He never saves a soul. He's not interested in us. He doesn't work providentially for us. But the thing that makes my heart ache is that many members of the church are becoming deists. Sometimes they'll think that there's no need to pray unless you can change God. Well, children don't have to change their parents in order to get what they need. If they need medical attention or need school supplies or need something along that line, 
Well, they don't have to change the parents in order to obtain it. All they have to do is just let the, their need become known to the parents and ask. The parents had planned all the time that if they approached them and asked for something, that they would grant it if they could and if it were wise. Of course, parents would not give a child a razor blade or some dynamite to play with that might explode, some gun cartridges or something like that, deadly poison to play with or matches. God's not going to give us the things that would be hurtful and would ruin us in answer to prayer or any other way. We may take it and destroy ourselves, but it's against his will. point I'm trying to get before us, first of all, is, is that God has spoken, and that it is good that he did that. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake, in time passed unto the fathers. Well, suppose we were to stop right there. Somebody would say, yes, he talked to this father, and then he talked to that father, and then he talked to this other father over here, and he went into all the homes where there were fathers, and he talked to all these fathers directly. No, he didn't do it that way. It says, God who at sundry times in a diver's manner spake in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets. He selected men whom he appointed as his prophets, and he inspired them, and then demanded that they teach the people. That was his method. And the Bible says of Noah that he was a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter 2 and 5. And when they rejected the Spirit and hardened their hearts, it simply means they were rejecting what the Holy Spirit, through Noah, had taught them back there. And they were resisting the Holy Spirit. It was striving with them through Noah's preaching. They resisted the word of God that is spoken by the prophet. David, one of these prophets, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake with me, and his word, Spirit's word. See, the Holy Spirit has a message. His message is God's message. And his word was in my tongue, said David. Second Samuel 23 and 2. And looking back and having all the spokesmen for God in mind in the Old Testament, he says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Second Peter 1 and 21. Holy Spirit then operated miraculously upon these holy men of God and spoke through them God's word to the people. In Nehemiah 8 and verse 20 is one of those statements that could be easily misinterpreted. He says in his prayer to God, Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them. One man was sitting by the fireside, he said, one evening, 
And the Holy Ghost just came down and struck him and knocked him out of his chair. And he fell over in the floor. And someone said, well, what did he say to you? He didn't say anything to me. Well, why did he strike you down like that? Oh, he says it was because I was a sinner. Well, what did he tell you to do about it? Didn't tell me anything. Just knocked me down. Well, that's not the way the Holy Spirit operates on men. Somebody would say, and I reported that once, and someone came back with a statement that God struck Paul down and knocked him off of his horse when Jesus appeared to him. Bible doesn't say anything about Paul being knocked down, knocked off of his horse, doesn't even mention any horse in the first place. This fellow said that night when Paul was on his way to Damascus, why the Holy Spirit knocked him off of his horse. Well, how did he operate on him? Well, I don't know, he just knocked him down. No, Paul said when we were all fallen to the earth, they voluntarily fell down. Just like we read in the papers recently about some people falling on the floor when they found that the cyclone was striking the meeting house down south of us. They were in a service, and they all fell on the floor. That doesn't mean the lightning struck them and knocked them onto the floor. They just voluntarily fell upon the floor for protection. Paul fell down because of humility. Before, that great light that was so bright that it made him blind so that he had to be led into the city. In the ninth and the 22nd and 26th chapters of Acts, when I could not see for the glory of that light, then Ananias said that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, he had to obey the gospel to receive the Holy Spirit. But he laid his hands on him to give him his sight, as you'll read in that connection. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just knock people down like that. The record says, Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them. To instruct them. They need it. But he didn't give the Spirit directly to all the people to instruct them. We've done shown that he gave it to the inspired men to instruct the rest of them. But now let's go on to verse 30. Verse 20 says he gave the Spirit to instruct them. Let's see to whom he gave it to instruct them. Verse 30, And testifiest against them by thy Spirit in thy prophets. The Spirit was in the prophets instructing the masses, instructing the people by and through the inspired man. And that inspired message that God had for men in different ages was finally committed to record. And we have it now in the Bible. And Jesus has endorsed the Old Testament scriptures, saying, For Moses wrote of me, If you had believed his writings, you would believe my words. John 5, 46 and 47. Paul endorsed it, said, The man was not of the woman, but the woman of the man, referring to the creation of Adam and Eve back then. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 8 beginning. So you can see that God has spoken, and now it's our business to hear what he has to say and to investigate it. And his word becomes a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. 
The entrance of the word giveth light and understanding only though to the simple. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14 and 12. Every way of a man's right in his own eyes. Proverbs 21 and 2. O Lord, I know that the way of a man's not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10 and 23. We need God. We need Jesus. We need the Bible. We need Christianity. We need the church. We need the truth about the Bible, the truth of the Bible. And we close with Jesus' statement. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8 and 32. May we stand and sing our invitation hymn.